Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Pride. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it. It, it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. That's fun. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday and welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. I've been with this guy in a while. Lance Metal next to me. I am John Schmelk. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. I shanked Tino. I'm in here for him today. Um, and luckily, I got all my interviews done. So I was actually able to do the show today, which is great. Um, thanks for being with us. Giants getting ready for their first playoff game since 2016. Lance, very exciting. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Pepsi Zero Sugar. New and improved. Zero never tasted so good. And it feels like the entire building has been drinking a lot of Pepsi Zero Sugar this week, Lance. It's yeah. on fire. People are excited. They got a lot of energy. They're ready to go. And it's a long time coming. But at the same time, you know, I've been in the locker room every day this week. It feels like any other game. Guys playing ping pong, guys joking around, going in and out. And I think that's exactly what Brian Dable wants. He is the king of oh, yeah. keep the regular the regular. And based on what I've seen, which is obviously very limited, I'm not out there at practice every day. We're not allowed to be. I think it seems like he's accomplished that goal for whatever that's worth. Well, he's been preaching that all season long, John. So why stop now, right, at this point? And I think a lot of the roster's young. I don't really think these guys know any different other than going through the protocols and everything else that they've had to follow over the course of this season. So I think that they've been pretty steady as a result of that, and they buy into what Brian Dable is selling. And I think players in NFL history that have gotten in trouble or – have had some rough performances, specifically quarterbacks. I think it's a product of them actually trying to do too much and maybe thinking outside of just a regular game. So you go out to Minnesota, you were there a few weeks ago, and you don't act any different and let the best team win based on the level of execution. Because both of these teams, we've been throwing out the numbers all week. We threw out the numbers a few weeks ago. They've combined for 19 wins in one score contest. I'd be stunned if this game becomes a lopsided affair. Though I will say this. The Vikings have had two games this year. Three, if you want to count the first half against the Colts, but they came back. Sure. Where yeah. things have gotten away from them a little bit. We talked about this yesterday a little bit. Cowboys game, too. And the Packers game. Yeah. And then the first half against the Lions. So I feel like if you get the Vikings offense all off kilter early, 
sometimes it's hard for them to kind of get on track in the second half. Now they did against Detroit. They didn't manage that against the you know the Packers and and Dallas. But I'm with you. I don't see that happening in this game. And and the Giants have only won one game all year by more than one score. And that was the exactly. game against the Colts. And I think the Colts might have had the stamp on the envelope at that point of the year, to be quite honest with you. But though they you know they they almost beat the Texans in the final week of the year. So maybe not. But um, I'm with you. I think this is going to be another tight game and. Frankly, whichever team has the ball last might win the game. I mean, that's kind of how it went last time, right? That's exactly how it went last time. The Giants yeah. had the ball. They were going to punt. The Vikings blocked the punt, score the touchdown. Giants get it back. They go down and score a touchdown. The Vikings get it back. They go and score the field goal. It's the recipe for both of these teams. That's what really has allowed them to get to the playoffs. They've won a lot of these close games. They've been able to execute down the stretch of the fourth quarter. Listen, the separation between most teams in the NFL is minute to begin with. So I don't think the Vikings and Giants are showing us or demonstrating anything that we don't know. But it's just, it's very unusual to see the high volume of games that have ended that way. With respect to both of these teams, the Vikings, they set a record. 11 one-score games. They won all of them. And the Vikings have four more wins than the Giants, but their point differentials are almost identical. Yeah, what, minus six, minus three. Yeah, exactly. They're right in the same ballpark. And that's what happens when you play all of these close games. Now, also, what's hurt the Vikings is that lopsided loss to Dallas really screwed up the point differential, even though the majority of the games have been close. That was almost like a minus 37. What was that, 40 oh, it was to 3 or 43, something? 43, yeah. They just like absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. got clobbered. And then, you know, the Giants have also had some games that got away from them in terms of the, the Cowboys, Eagle game, too. Mostly. The Eagles yeah. game, mm-hmm. too. Now, the Colts game helped make up for the deficit. Yeah, they were like minus 27 going into that Colts game, I believe they were minus 28 on the nose, and then they won by 28 to completely wipe it out. Yeah, so it worked out from a mathematical standpoint. But, you know, that's why I guess both of these teams are good examples of maybe point differential doesn't truly tell the whole story because you could have, John, based on what we've just described, you could have really one bad lopsided game. And doesn't that maneuver the numbers in a way where everything else has been relatively close and you're like well why is this team in the playoffs if they have a point differential of minus 20 well one bad game that's going to do it for you yeah and that's why you have to look at the season in totality obviously um few things i want to get to here lance we did a lot of the x's and O's stuff with uh casillas yesterday i want to throw a couple things at you and the i'm one that likes to look total numbers i think they do tell a broader story that is oftentimes accurate um and the Vikings did move the ball against the Giants in that game, right? Kirk Cousins threw for 299 yards. And I talked about this with, with Chris Sims on the Giants Little Podcast. They had over 350 yards, you know, total in the game, the Vikings, um, th- 353 net. And they scored 27 points. You know, that's one of the higher point totals the Giants have allowed this year. With that said, if you could promise me today the Giants' defense will give you that same performance that they did in that first game in this game, I honestly think I'll take it. You know, they got put in a short field situation off the block punt, which I think, you know, caused some issues. Obviously, they got to score without having to march the field. They only had one play, not pass play, one play of 25 yards or more. A 25-yard completion to Justin Jefferson. They had no other plays of 20 or more yards. You know, the Vikings want to make big plays. They're a big play team. Sure. And they were not able to make a lot of big plays against this Giants defense. And I think if you can force them to have those slow, methodical, you know, navigating drives up and down the field, you know, we saw it in this other game, right? Kirk Cousins will throw the ball in the coverage. He will trust with good reason a lot of the time because they're really good. Yeah. He will trust his wide receivers and, and TJ Hawkinson to make plays in coverage and your defense will have a chance to make a play 
They don't have their starting right tackle. Maybe Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari can get home more, get a forced fumble or something like that. I feel like I will accept if the Giants' defense plays as well as they did in that first matchup in this game, I think the Giants have a real good chance to win this game, assuming the offense can cut out all those turnovers and the block punt that they had yeah. on special teams. Well, especially the two in Minnesota territory, because it's not just a killer you lost the ball, you lost points. You could have at least maybe tacked on a few field goals under those circumstances, and now maybe Minnesota needs a touchdown as opposed to a field goal yeah. on that final drive. The other thing that I think gets overlooked in this game, 28 of the 51 points came in the fourth quarter. Yeah, this was a 13-10 game entering the fourth. Mm -hmm. It really became more of a clinic in the final quarter where both teams started to pick things up. But I think for the most part, it was more of a grinded out type of affair through the first three quarters. Now, part of that, of course, was the Giants missing out on opportunities to not finish drives. And the Vikings did not have a lot of explosive plays. But Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson, in the end, still finished with over 100 yards. They had double digits in catches and they combined for three touchdowns. Now, Irv Smith Jr. is back for the Vikings. He's an intriguing option for them because you could use him as a blocker as well as a guy in the middle of the field. So what type of role does he play? He just came back off of IR. He missed nearly 10 games with an ankle issue. And then Garrett Bradbury is another factor in play for the Vikings. You mentioned Brian O'Neill is out at right tackle, but Bradbury's their starting center. He didn't play the last five, including the game against the Giants. I'll go so far, John, to say that if you combine the Giants injured players and the Vikings injured players, I think the return of Bradbury may be the most influential piece of personnel. And the reason if I Jackson, say that... I'll argue, if Jackson's back, I'll make that argument. I, just, I don't know if Jackson's going to play no, a full game, though, do even I. if he's back. That's fair. And that's why I put him behind Bradbury. But the reason why I'd give Bradbury the edge over Jackson is... The Giants attacked the interior of the Vikings' offensive line in that first matchup. Dexter Lawrence had a sack. They had four overall 11 quarterback hits. Bradbury can help solidify what is a weak spot for the Vikings. So that's a trouble area. The tackles handled their business in that first game. Now, I know Brian O'Neill's not there. I get that. But Bradbury, the center touches the ball on every single play. People talk about the quarterback touches the ball, the center touches the ball. You need to have that smooth transition between the center and the quarterback. So I'll say the return of Bradbury, and he did get a full practice in yesterday. We'll see what happens today. Everything seems to be trending in the positive direction. That is a huge addition sure. for the Vikings offensive line. Especially the way Dexter Lawrence dominated that first yeah. game. I know he had no sacks, but it was, and I've said this like the fourth time I'm saying it this week, so I apologize for being repetitive. It was one of the most dominating zero sack performances I've seen. He was in the back field every play. Poor Austin Schlotman did not have a chance. He got utterly demolished in that game. He ended up, I think, broke his ankle the following week, which is bad for yeah, him, Yeah, he's out for the season. Yeah. Um, and Chris Reed, I thought, has actually done a pretty decent job since he's come in for, for Schlotman. But it looks like Bradbury's going to play. And I think this is an interesting matchup now, too, Lance, because much like Jason Kelsey, and we talked about this heading into the Eagles game, and I talked to Andre Patterson about this when the assistant coaches spoke today, you know, he actually compared him to like a Travis Kelsey type of player, uh, Jason Kelsey, pardon me, not Travis, Jason Kelsey, type of player, where he's a smaller, mobile, smart, athletic center. And Jason Kelsey did a good job against Dexter Lawrence when they played this year. Well, how does Bradbury handle Lawrence, a guy that has really learned to leverage his size and length this year against a smaller center? We'll see if Dexter can have that type of performance like he did in the first match. And if he can't, can they make up for it attacking Eli Udo at right tackle? Or Brannick might come back this week, too. He's a guy that backed up Darisol at left tackle earlier in the year. He was designated to return from injured reserve. We don't know if he's going to play yet either. You know, can Thibodeau or Ojolari 
make up for some of that stuff. Dexter maybe doesn't give you inside over the right tackle spot. Where Udo doesn't give up a ton of sacks, but he's a just gives up, he commits a billion penalties. Well, when he played guard, yeah, the previous year. season. And yeah. look, and then working in space, that's probably not going to get any easier. So, you know, you're in a phone booth, it's probably a little bit easier in there. So we'll see how he does that at right tackle. Um, so I think that'll be a couple of interesting matchups that I think you have to keep an eye on in this game. And then Leonard Williams, I still like him against their two guards, Ezra Cleveland and Ed Ingram. I didn't think those two guys played particularly well in the first matchup, so I think that's another spot where you can pinpoint the Giants have an advantage. He had two sacks in that first game, Leonard Williams. And while he wasn't as dominant as Dexter Lawrence, I thought he also played a very strong game. Yeah, that's why the return of Bradbury I keep going back to, because as you just emphasized what I mentioned, the interior of that Vikings offensive line is a question mark, and if you get back somebody that has been in the league for several seasons and also has been a stabilizing force, I think that could go a long way, because the biggest storyline in this game and I know you mentioned that the defense gives you what happened in the first matchup. You'll take that, John. But I still think the onus is on the Giants' offense in a game like this. you got to be able to match what the Vikings are able to put up. This has been a fairly consistent scoring team. And you're not going to slow down Justin Jefferson, meaning you're not going to eliminate him from the picture. He's going to get his plays. He's going to get his yardage. And whether or not that translates to touchdowns remains to be seen. So you're going to have to find a way to impact Kirk Cousins. You impact Kirk Cousins, yep. you then slow down the level of production of Justin Jefferson. So that comes back to play in the trenches. And if you can get 11 quarterback hits and four sacks, sure, the Giants, they'll sign up for that. Wink will take that because you figure, okay, you're taking a toll on Kirk and company. But here's the crazy thing. Even with those numbers, you still had two guys over 100 yards and three touchdowns, which yep. just goes to show you you know, where the Vikings are in terms of their passing attack. And here's the other reason why playing the trenches is so key. Everybody's wondering, well, will Dalvin Cook be showcased a little bit more in this game? Because he only had 14 carries for 64 yards. So yardage per carry was good. They just didn't highlight him much. And by the way, that's been a theme for the Vikings all year on offense. They well, just uh, Kevin O'Connell, I feel like, does not... He runs no. the football because he's there and he has to, but he doesn't really want to run it from what I can tell. 100%. Well, he comes from the Rams school of thought, and the Rams were the same way. I mean, they're throwing the ball 64% of the time, John. That's the third highest rate in the NFL. So I would be, once again, surprised if this becomes, well, let's give it to Dalvin to run for 30 no, times. I now, agree. granted, if they're winning in the game, maybe that changes O'Connell's philosophy game flow always is going to influence but they're going to come out and they're going to look to test this giant secondary and this giant's pass rush with respect to all of their weapons because once again they've got Irv Smith now KJ Osborne didn't have a monster game he's a quiet guy and even Adam Thielen was extremely you quiet one catch yeah only had one catch mm -hmm. so you know do they try to spread the wealth and test the giant secondary in other areas these are the subtle ways that I'm looking at yeah. in terms of maybe how Game flow changes, but we know the personnel. These teams are familiar with one another. If the Giants, once again, win the battle in the trenches, I think they'll put themselves in a good position to at least dictate the tone of the game. Yeah, and I'll throw one other thing out there, too, before we get to your calls at 201-939-4513. You know, the Giants played a, as much zone and too deep zone than they have in any game this year against the Vikings in their first matchup. They broke a lot of their tendencies that way. They still blitzed a lot. But they put a lot more zone, and I think that took the Vikings by surprise a little bit. So if you get McKinney and Jackson back, do the Vikings stick with that game plan? Do they keep playing a little bit more zone? Or did they play that mostly to protect their young set of cornerbacks? You I know go with I the mean? latter a bit. Yeah, so are we going to see more pressure? Kirk Cousins did a pretty decent job against the Blitz in that Very first game. Very good job, yeah. He had two touchdown passes, he had a couple plays into the game. Again, you didn't get those big explosive plays over the top. 
but he handled it fairly well in that game. Over the course of the year against the Blitz, he has not been nearly as good. So how do the Giants then balance that? Do they change their tendencies? And then I'll bring it back to you, Lance, uh, for the Giants' offense. You talked about how you think the Vikings are going to stick with the pass-heavy attack, right? What do the Giants do? You know, they drop back to throw 52 times in that game against the Vikings on Christmas Eve. They ran it 17. It was the biggest or widest ratio of run pass than they've had in any game all year long. You can throw on this Vikings secondary. They're porous. Daniel Jones had his best game of the year. But do they try to be a little bit more balanced in this game? Because look, Saquon only had 14 carries. He still ran for 80 yards. His six yards per carry lens was his second best yards per carry of the year, going back to the first game of the year in Tennessee. So if the Giants want to run it more, I feel confident they can. If they want to throw it more, I feel confident that they can. But I would bet, let's say they run 70 plays again, just to throw out a, a number, my guess it's going to be closer to like 40 dropbacks, 30 runs, than it's going to be 52-17. You know what I mean? I think you're going to trend a little bit more towards you know, 55-45 than 66%, which is really kind of off the off you know, off the reservation a little bit. Barkley also had eight receptions in that yep. game too. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of touches and you give your running back touches. I think that's maybe a little bit more key than running the ball. No, but I agree. And a I, lot of those passes were like those little swing passes, exactly. which are kind of an extension of the run it's game. It's one hundred percent an extension mm-hmm. of the run game. Though I don't think it's a coincidence though that the two games that Daniel Jones has gone over three hundred yards and has gone into the forty attempt territory they've lost both of those games and they've John. had turnover issues in both yeah of those games they lost too. to the lions they lost to the vikings a number i've always thrown out and i'll say it again they're 9-0-1 when they have at least 30 rushing attempts they're 0-7 when they don't now some people have come back well they should run the ball 30 times on the first 30 plays of the game no of course it depends on having success on the ground game but i don't think that's coincidental either so i would say to answer your question if you're the giants the recipe to beat the Vikings, whether you're having success or not, is not to have Daniel Jones get into that 40-plus pass territory because it has not yielded good results. And the Vikings did a good job getting to him in that last game, too. You know, Daniel Hunter was in the backfield a lot. Yeah. Um, he had two I, sacks. I, yeah, I thought, I thought they got rid of the ball pretty quickly in that game, and they did protect well at other times. But, you know, the right side of the Giants offensive line had some issues in that first game, and I want to see how they handle it uh, in this contest with, you know, Hunter, Zadarius Smith. Um, we'll see how they handle that pass rush. But it should be, a, look, I'm with you. I think it should be a close game. I think we'll be on pins and needles and on our tippy toes in that fourth quarter, seeing how this thing's going to go. I think, you know, the Giants have a real good chance to win the game, but they could easily lose the game too. They, they certainly can't turn it over like they did in the previous matchup if they want to win this game. I think that's for sure. And, look, I'm with you. I think it's a coin toss game to me. You know, whichever team plays a better brand of football is probably going to come out and win the game. I don't see a huge mismatch either way. There are easily, you know, we talk about paths to victory. There are multiple paths for both teams to walk away with a win in this game. There's multiple ways for both teams to do it. They can do it, and we'll see which team comes out and simply plays better. And I think given these two teams played each other, they're more familiar with each other. They played only three weeks ago. You know, you see these in, in like NBA playoff series, right? The more and more these teams play each other, the better team tends to come out on top of the end because you see each other more and more. So I think, you know, you see these t- this team again, the better coach team and the team with the better players is the team that's going to, you know, 
The cream rises to the top, right? Well, the way you look at the breakdown is I think the Vikings have the better offense. The Giants have the better defense. Oh, well, that's <laughs> for sure. The Vikings' defense is not very yeah, good. Yeah, the Vikings' defense has veteran players. They have certain guys up front. You mentioned Daniel Hunter, Zadarius Smith, who got some rest last week. They didn't play him. He's trying to overcome a knee issue, and Harrison Smith got rest too. He's dealing with a knee issue, and Patrick Peterson had the interception off of Daniel Jones. I think they have a really good linebacking core, but they're not a shutdown unit. The Giants move the ball. A lot of teams have moved the ball, but they are opportunistic, and that goes back to if you put the ball in the air a lot of times, you're going to give Minnesota a chance to make some plays. That's more of a reason why I don't think the recipe for victory is to have Daniel Jones throw the ball 40-some-odd times. Peterson and Harrison Smith specifically. Yeah, those guys have 10 interceptions. They got five apiece. Mm -hmm. They've got 25 takeaways on the season, 15 of which are interceptions. This team has made up for its shortcomings in yardage by taking away the ball. And by the way, Jones did get strip-sacked in that first game, too. The Giants just happened to recover it. Yeah. Well, and there have been a few times this season, by mm -hmm. the way, in which that's happened. And remember, you don't put that as a negative because it doesn't reflect on a turnover or a lost fumble because it was recovered. But there's a lot of things that have to go right under those circumstances. So, you know, you put the mirror image of these teams up against one another. There's a lot of similarities. I think that if you go back to the first game, you referenced the turnovers. I would say this. And this was actually, I think, part of our factor fiction statements that we responded to this week, which you can check out on Giants.com. I think it's more important for the Giants to avoid turnovers in this game than have a takeaway. We answered the question. I didn't even look at your oh, answer, you okay. but that means we answered the question yeah. the exact same way. I wrote that, the exact same thing. <laughs> that was the rationale behind <laughs> my response. Okay, so great minds think alike. But that's how I responded to that because— the way it was worded was about, like, do they need to have multiple takeaways? Do the Giants need to have multiple right? takeaways to win the and game, correct? I don't look at it that way. I mean, also, if you look at the trends this season, you know, they've won games where they've only had one takeaway. Like, so I feel good about it. If, if you tell me right now the Giants walk out of this game, they're even in turnover ratio, I feel pretty good about winning the game. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you. But if the Vikings have plus one, plus two in turnover differential. You, if you get the plus two territory, you're probably not going to win. Yeah, and I'll throw in the special teams that issue on that. Sure. It doesn't count statistically, which I don't understand why. Maybe they should readjust that. But the Giants, they had three turnovers because you mm -hmm. gave the Vikings unbelievable field position as a result of that block punt. That led to the game tying, no, the, the go-ahead touchdown in yeah. the fourth quarter. So that was a turnover because... Yes, you could argue you could have flipped field position, but where you gift-wrapped them to take over, they were already in field goal. Oh, range. you handed them 40, yeah. 45 yards. So, I mean, you handed them three points right there at worst. Correct. You Correct. can't do that. You can't do that on top of the conventional turnovers. So that to me, and I understand stating ball security is the most obvious trend in football. Yes, I get that. But when we're talking about teams where there's not a lot of separation, sometimes you have to highlight the obvious. It's critical for the Giants to avoid turnovers as opposed to being opportunistic and take away the ball from the Vikings in this game. With the 100%, go subscribe to the Giants Huddle Podcast, everybody. Boy, we put a slew of shows up this week. You go back, uh, you have the most recent episode. I don't think the Friday one's up yet, Pearson, but the one that's up there right now is my interview with Kevin Burkhart, the number one analyst on Fox, or play-by-play -play, yeah, with Fox, pardon me. He's calling the game on Sunday for uh, Fox at 4.30. Uh, that is now the 
next to last episode on there because the Friday episode is up. I had a one-on-one with Leonard Williams. He talks a lot about his stinger injury, actually, and you know making the playoffs for the first time. Really good stuff from Leonard in that. Check that out. Lance and Paul have a preview with uh, Pete Burtzich, who calls the games on the radio. He's their radio analyst for the Vikings. Bob Papa with Brian Dable. We have that. That's up there right now. Then go back two or three episodes ago. I talked to Chris Sims, and you know he brings out his notebook, literally. He's going through his notes in the podcast. He rewatched the first game on Christmas Eve, and we really, some of the stuff we talked about today, Lance, breaks down a lot of it from a quarterback's perspective, the you know eccentricities and the, 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 the details of what happened in that first game and what they might do differently here uh, in the game coming up on Sunday. And he was with us, by the way. He thought they should lean into Saquon a little bit more. And that's from a quarterback, right? And, sure. and, not, yep. and, and not lean into throwing it that many times. I thought he had a great line. So make sure you go check that in the Giants Little Podcast, Giants.com. Uh, the mobile app, the Giants mobile app, or go to Giants.com slash podcast, search for Giants Huddle, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. He said the Vikings, this is basically his quote. So Vikings, if you're listening, this isn't me saying this, go yell at Chris Sims, not me. <laughs> um, the Vikings are so bad on defense, you could pretty much do whatever you want against them. So don't let the fact that they struggle in the secondary make you get out of how you want to play. Play the way you want to play, because the Vikings really aren't, frankly, very good at stopping much of anything. Oh, look at the standings and look at the <laughs> rankings. Yeah, it's not pretty in terms of where they finish up statistically. That's why the takeaways have been a savior for them at times. And their red zone defense has been yeah. okay, and their third down defense has been good at times as well. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's noticeable... And no big plays, too. They don't give a lot of big plays over the top, either. Well, and that's why, if you go back to that first game, the Giants attacked the middle of the field. All game. It was a field day for Isaiah mm-hmm. Hodgins, Richie James, Daniel Jones over the middle. And then, you know, try to make a manageable third down. Cross or converse. slam. Yeah. In routes, all that now, stuff. Now, does Minnesota make an adjustment from right. that standpoint? Do they try to tease the Giants into trying to take a deep shot? And I think we saw that late. Remember on the Giants' next-to-last possession, they tried that little in-cut to Isaiah Hodgins on a third down. I think it was Jordan Hicks, if I recall, came over right after the Hodgins jumped to catch the ball, and Hicks came in, and he put his helmet right on the ball. Boom. Yeah. Knocked it out. So that was one of those late adjustments on them trying to go over the middle with the linebacker help. We'll see if they make further adjustments with that. Because, look, the Vikings have been a heavy zone team all year. They've run a lot of too deep stuff. They don't let things get over the top. So that makes the middle of the field vulnerable. They did run a little bit more matchup zone, which kind of looks like man-to-man um, in that game against the Giants. Because I think they figured, well, we're not that afraid of these Giants receivers. We're willing sure. to play the man-to-man more. And, frankly, Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins did really well against Chandon Sullivan and Patrick Peterson. You know, Duke Shelley, they didn't really throw to his side much at all. It was the other two guys that they went after. And I thought the Giants did a real good job attacking them in the middle of the field. So we'll see if they can do that again. And Shelley's a guy that has emerged as a starter over recent weeks because Cam Dantzler has been dealing with an injury and some personal issues. Once again, if you're Ed Donatel, do you get out of character this late in the season? Yeah, see, see, I thought they almost got out of character a little bit in the first game by playing less too deep stuff and more. So do they go back then to what they're used to doing? I don't know. That's the million-dollar question. One of those cat-and-mouse games. Yeah, well, and, I, and I think both coaching staffs are also wondering, you know, is this the game of all games that you choose right. to experiment a little when we've been working with one recipe? It's risky if you go down that road. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean.
Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or, like, put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. 201-939-4513. All right, guys. We're going to have a lot of callers today, and I got to you later than I wanted to. I apologize. We'll try to maybe we'll go a couple minutes late if we have to. Sorry, Pearson. Um, But we will try to take as many calls as we can. Uh, So let's try to go rapid fire. If you have a main point, let's get to it quickly. Let's keep the small talk to a minimum, and let's get to your point, and we'll try to get as many calls in as possible. Let's start off with Jonathan Westchester. He's up first. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Hey, how are you guys? What's up? So I feel like the Giants have a tough decision to make this week. When it comes to determining who gets a jersey on Sunday and who's inactive, Explain. you have guys like well, you have guys like uh, Jared Davis and Dane Belton and Lawrence Cager, who really stepped up against the Eagles last week. I think Davis had ten tackles and a half sack. Cager was our leading receiver with eight catches for almost seventy yards, and Belton had an interception and six tackles. I don't so, think I, I'm going to cut you off, Jonathan. I don't think what happened in that Eagles game is going to have a huge impact, yeah. except except for maybe Jared Davis. Because they had well, that, not seen him, question. they had yeah. not seen him before. He's also very familiar with the Vikings personnel, being from the NFC North, and he's basically prepared. This is the third time he's preparing for them this year. So, I think Davis maybe, and I think maybe a bigger role. Maybe he'll take some snaps away from Jalen Smith and Micah McFadden. That would not shock me in this game. I don't think the other two guys you mentioned, though, are, are going to really break into the rotation a ton. That, that, Dave, that's just my feel. Davis also plays a position where it warrants maybe inserting him in there based on how other previous guys have done. With Belton, you're dealing with the safety position. McKinney just came back. And Cage are also a tight end where you have Bellinger. So I just think that was more of a product of more playing time and opportunity as opposed for them trying to highlight them to determine whether or not they earn more playing I remember, time. Remember, Cager's really a receiver in the tight end's body. That guy's not blocking. So if he's on the field, he's almost acting like a receiver. And I don't know you necessarily want to like take a guy like Richie James off the field, who despite you know a couple drop punts and, a, and, and the drop on the slant against Minnesota, he's actually, I think, had a pretty good year as their slot wide receiver, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, his percentage of catch rate is ridiculous. Yeah, I was talking to Mike Groh today. He said it's the best yeah. catch percentage since 2018 when Michael Thomas, and who is the other name? He gave me one of the names besides Michael Thomas at that high of a catch rate. But, yeah, he's he's been very, very good. He's been consistent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you guys answered my question. I mean, I, I don't know if you're willing to do it. I was going to ask you to see if you could predict who the inactive players might be. <laughs> I mean, I would what are have you, to look placing at the, a bet on this, yeah. Jonathan. I mean, appreciate the call, Jonathan. Uh, I mean, I would. I don't say, think we've ever done that every single no, week. I, I mean, w- one of the offensive linemen or two of the offensive linemen, probably right. Um, Cager, Sills, right. Um, yeah, I mean, those guys have normally been healthy scratchers. One of the tight ends, probably. 
you know, one of the maybe one of the defensive linemen. Do you think Anderson and Mondo are both up with Justin Ellis? Probably not all three of those guys. So one of those guys will probably be down. Unless you need more protection with Leonard Williams dealing with the neck yeah, issue. Perhaps. Maybe they go for more insurance if, if possible. If Dory Jackson is up or one of the corners down, Rodarius Williams, maybe. That's sure. possible. Yeah, he's been a healthy scratch before. Yeah, I think those are the guys that I would be looking at, to be honest with you. And I, and I'm before we get a call about it, like Kenny Galloway's not going to go out and play. Get, and look, I was happy for Kenny. He's been a, I've been trying to tell people all year. No one wants to believe me that he's been a good soldier and he's actually been you know trying real hard and all that stuff. I think we saw that come to fruition last week with the way everybody reacted to him scoring and all that stuff. But you know maybe he'll get some you know red zone looks or play 15 snaps instead of three or four. But he's not going to meaningfully take snaps away from a guy like Slayton. Or a guy like Hodgins, because frankly, those guys have earned those snaps. And they finally got into a rhythm here, Lance, and they've been had the same guys out there for a month for the first time all year. I don't think they're going to change that now. Well, that's why I wouldn't read too much into the Eagles game. That, exactly, correct. You mm-hmm. can't get ultra excited over the fact that they rested the majority of the team. So, of course, Kenny Galladay played 100% of the snaps. And if you play 100% of the snaps, John, you're going to get more targets. You're going to get more opportunities. Someone's got to catch the exactly. ball. Exactly. <laughs> but now you bring back Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James and all the usual well, dude, guys. Hodgins, James, Slayton, and Bellinger all did not play a yeah. single snap in the Eagles game. Well, Slayton, I think, got out there. He did. Did he Davis, a little bit? Davis Webb referenced that he did play a snap or two, and I believe he was out. But briefly, we're talking about very minute series. Yeah, if anything. So all of those guys are coming back. You're not. You're going to start benching those guys because Kenny Galladay got his first touchdown as a Giant. It just it doesn't work like that. That's why I would not delve deep into that Eagles game. As a result. They're going to go with the guys that got them here. You don't change that up. And in the same way, after that one game, that's why I wouldn't take too much about how the Eagles performed in the game either. It's just a weird game, and sure. you know, hurts. They were being careful with him, and he wasn't healthy. Clearly, yes. And so even the way, even the way they talked about him after the game, he was really sore. Like he refused to answer any questions about his health. I watched the entire presser, John. They pressed him left and really? right, and he didn't say anything. They, he gave short. How you doing? Fine. Next question. He, you could tell. He's also a tough guy. He's never going to want to admit that. He's no, crazy. but you could tell from an optic standpoint, he wasn't himself. Which tells you that he really wasn't himself. Yeah, which right? is also why they wanted the bye. Yeah, Slayton played three snaps in that okay. game, by the way. So there Very you good go. call. One series. Very good. Yeah. 201-939-4513. Robin Yonkers. Uh, no, well, Hugo, right, is next? Sorry about that. Hugo in New Jersey is next. And Rob, you're right after him, I promise. Uh, Hugo, what's going on? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. What's going great on? Job, yep, thank you. Yep. Um... Well, uh, you know, just going back to this, uh, maybe as a follow-up, uh, one guy from the Philly game that I think uh, might deserve a little bit more of a prominent role is Cordell Flott. And uh, I kind of agree with your earlier comments that uh, Dory Jackson may not get a full uh, plate of snaps for this game. And when I think about Justin Jefferson, he's kind of a slender receiver with great movement skills. And if you think about our cornerback uh, group, who is the slender dude with great movement skills? It's it's Cordell Flott. Wait, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. You're suggesting that the Giants going to this game purposely isolating your rookie cornerback Cordell Flott on Justin Jefferson? No, no. What I what I'm suggesting is okay, good. You put Cordell Flott on Jefferson as opposed to uh, Moreau, who's sort of a bigger uh, and maybe he has you know little worse movement skills, and give him help over the top, 
and then use the combination of Moreau, Jackson, McLeod to kind of be racers on their secondary receivers. So that would be my suggestion for this game. Well, I think they need to utilize the entire secondary. I don't think you can lean on one guy in particular. I think you want to give these Vikings wide receivers different looks because Jefferson's the type of guy, first of all, he could be doubled and still make ridiculous catches. So at the end of the day, there's only so much. But I think... In fact, Lance, his touchdown at the end, the one that gave off the block punt, had a safety over the top and yep. single and coverage underneath. In between he, both. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, look, I, I think he, it makes he, sense to mix and match. I didn't think, like, did you think Cordell Flott was some kind of, like, shutdown corner against the Eagles in the last game of the year? Uh, well, look, I haven't looked at it all 22, but on TV, he did a, I thought he did a pretty good job against A.J. Brown, who, who actually is a mismatch against him, because that's a bigger type of more physical receiver. I see Cordell Flott as the kind of guy you put on, you know, Smith of the Eagles and Jefferson of the, of the Vikings. Because he, he's in and out of breaks really quick, which is what Jefferson does. And he doesn't have to worry that much about the physicality of that receiver. Uh, I mean, Justin Jefferson knows how to you know, get off a jam. I think, I think that's yeah. certainly part of that. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying we press him. I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that. Well, I mean, you know, you, if, if you're going to put a safety over the top, you most certainly should press Justin Jefferson. That's the whole point. Well, if you put I mean, a safety I mean, over the top, you want to pressure him at the line of scrimmage. That's, that would I, be the plan. I, 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 yeah, I think you mix it up. I, I think you mix it up. You may play a little bit of off-cover off uh, with the safety help, uh, with eyes in the backfield, right? You may do that. You, may, you don't have to necessarily well, you will, if you're really, If you're playing off-coverage at the corner, you would not put the safety over the top. You would have a robber inside in more of a bracket situation. Okay, well, uh, so, some type of help is, I guess, what I'm suggesting. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a safety shaded over deep. All right, Hugo. Appreciate I, the call, man. Honestly, I think you're overthinking it a little bit. Yeah, I would be surprised if Flott... Well, first of all, Flott's been in the mix. It's not like he hasn't sure. received opportunities, but larger role if Adoree's back, even if Adoree doesn't play much, I, I still think Wink will rely on his veteran corners when it comes to Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I, mean, I don't see him throwing Flott into that situation. Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau have been ahead of him on the depth chart the entire yeah. year, and Darnay Holmes has been the slot guy the entire year. I would be very surprised if that changed in a playoff game. I'm with you. I, I don't see him all of a sudden, you know, increasing his solo looks on Justin Jefferson. And Once by the again, way, that's nothing against Cordell Flott. I would have that same answer to anyone suggesting any rookie gets put up against Justin Jefferson after not being a starter the entire year. Like it's 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 you're just asking a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just it, you're not putting a player, especially a young player, in a position to thrive. And do you want to do that? You know, it's one thing to experiment like that if this is week seven of the regular season. Correct. It's another thing to do it in a do-or-die scenario. I, I just I don't see Wink putting Cordell Flott in that scenario. And look, he's trusted Fabian Moreau to cover the other. And this is assuming Adoree's not playing, which we don't know. I think he's probably going to play a little bit, but we'll see. Um, that's, I mean, he's used Fabian Moreau in that role the whole year. I'd be surprised if, if, if that changed now. But I think he trusts Moreau yeah. to, you know, not make mistakes. Well, do you blame him? He's such a <laughs> yeah. smart player Well, he'll give up some catches, he'll get beat. And I think that's really been an underrated part of this Giants secondary this year, Lance. How many—and look, we, we've seen it in so many other years under so many different coordinators. How many times have we got out of these, one of these games and said, oh, boy, well, you know, they had one or two blown coverages where a guy was running wide open free in the secondary. Like, it just doesn't happen very often. 
which is a good sign of everybody being on the same page and the lack of miscommunication, which to your point plagued previous defenses, you put a young guy in that scenario where he has not been exposed to during the course of the regular season, I think you're asking for the potential of some of those miscues to rise. And like I said, Jefferson's the type of guy that you could put two guys on him. Kirk will still throw something up, and he'll say, I'll take my chances that Mm -hmm. Jefferson will make a play. Now you want to put Flott on an island where he has to handle himself like that, I think Kirk is going to see that, and I guarantee you Cousins and Kevin O'Connell are going to talk about that on the sideline. They're going to say, if they continue to do that, Kirk, you continue to throw the ball up to Justin Every Jefferson. Every time. 100%. <laughs> Every Why wouldn't you? Time. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, and he mentioned, you know, Flott, he's a longer guy, he's a faster guy, but at the catch point, you know, Cordell Flott's 170 pounds. And Jefferson's a physical guy. He doesn't look at... Yeah, he, he isn't Devontae right? Smith. Like he's but more he phys- plays like him. He's more physical yeah. than Devonta Smith. In yep. my opinion, at least. No, I'm completely with you. 201-939-4513. Now we go to Robin Yonkers. Robbie, how are you? Hey, guys. How, how are you doing? What's up? Doing all right. Um, all right, so I'm um, jumping straight into it. Um, I'm happy that our defense is back almost at 80 100%. Um, that's good. Um, I'm hoping they keep um, Adoree Jackson in most of the game, so therefore he could uh, stop any wide receivers trying to do anything. Um, that's for the defense. Not well, Rob, and, and Rob, by the way, real quick, it's not like you can just put a Dory Jackson on Justin Jefferson and he's going to, like, take care of him. Justin Jefferson can do well against any corner, so just keep that in mind. Don't have that high of okay. expectation. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, now, going in straight into the offense, I hope, I hope that we go in there with our foot on the gas and um, just like we did to the Colts. And I know you guys say this might be a one-score game, but like I said, I hope we go in with our foot on the gas and I hope we just basically put them away and by the third, maybe by the fourth quarter, we could sit Daniel Jones down. What do you think about that? Uh, I think you're really having well, dreams of grandeur, Rob. That would be nice. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but it's happened in literally one other game this year. And, and by the way, yeah, I mean, and, and the only reason that happened at halftime of the Colts game, frankly, was a defensive score. You know, that wasn't special if not, if teams not for that too. Landon Collins pick six return for a touchdown. That's what, 17 3 at halftime? Or whatever. Yeah. I think it was 24-3, right, at halftime of that Colts yeah. game? So without that Landon Collins pick six, you're looking at a 17-3 game. Look, I agree. I think, you know, you want to score points in this game. But you – do you mean – so does that mean you want to throw it a lot more, Rob, and you want to go away from the run early? Like, what are you thinking here? Um, I'm I'm thinking more run and and I'm maybe about even. Even amount of runs, even amount of throws because – like I said, also, and we know who our we know who our three wide receivers are, which would be which would be um, Hodges, Darius Slay, and Richie James. I say, hey, if you throw Kenny Galladay in it, if some for some reason they give him one on one, give him the ball. <coughs> I believe he, I believe he'll come down with the ball on a one on one because they're not worried about him. Remember that they're not worried about Kenny Galladay. Okay, appreciate the call, Robbie. Thanks for the call, man. Well, I, I don't think it's they're not worried about Kenny Galladay. I mean, they're not certainly shaking in their boots, but that doesn't mean that they're going to leave him wide open in the end zone in the event that he does get some playing time. I knew this was going to happen. I mentioned this on Monday. I've show, been trying John. to shut it down. Yeah, all you've week. echoed my sentiments <laughs> here, but I said it immediately on Monday when I was on with Paul. I said, stop thinking that Kenny Galladay's performance is now going to be an indication of what's happening moving forward, and the coaching staff is going to be benching other players and highly targeting him after this entire time. Kenny Galladay had two catches in that game against the Eagles, one that great catch in the back of the end zone. How many times was he targeted? He was targeted seven times. Is two catches on seven targets a very good percentage? No, and also the guy throwing him the ball is not the guy that's going to be throwing him the ball in this scenario, too. Let's not forget about that. So... 
Just saying. Yeah, you got to have perspective, I think, in this dialogue. With respect to the lopsidedness of the game, the Giants run away with this game if Kirk Cousins and company have a turnover fest. Okay? That's how this game gets out of hand. Correct. Where the Giants are in a comfort zone. Short of that, just go by the percentages. Once again, you mentioned the Indianapolis Colts game, but and I know the Colts built that big lead on the Vikings, which is what I was alluding to. Minnesota and Indianapolis are not in the same ballpark in terms of how the season's played out talent-wise. So that, to me, was an outlier. Well, by the way, it happened. It's not like the Colts moved the ball up and down the field. No, they got defensive scores, special special teams. teams. Sure, yeah, yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why the Vikings built themselves a deep hole that they all of a sudden jumped into. And then also the Giants, too. Where else have they run away from games? I mean, you mentioned the Indianapolis Colts game. Well, they got a defensive score. When is the offense alone just absolutely shredded an opponent this season, and they've jumped out to a 2-3 touchdown lead. Hasn't yeah, happened. I mean, the goal here is not, you know, let Daniel Jones rest in the second half. Just win the, just win the game, man. Yeah. I, I'm going to go back to Manny in California who called yesterday. Shout out to Manny. Like, guys, this is – stop acting like this is going to be an easy game. Like, it's it, the Vikings are a good team. They won 13 games this year. I understand that their point differential is not great, and that's why – if you know, it's in my opinion a coin flip game. Despite the fact that the, the Vikings were four and a half games better, or I'm sorry, three and a half games better than the Giants this year with the tie, right? In the loss column, four games in the win column. I think these two teams have played relatively similar football this year. To be honest with you, a lot of close games. The Vikings have been. In fact, that's the difference, right? The Giants eight four, eight four and one in their yeah. one score games, and the if Vikings you include the Philly game, true, but the right. starters barely played in that yeah, game. I, yeah, I, I'm, so it's I'm more of an eight that game three away. and one mark if you want to look at the true one score games in which your main guys play. Right, and the Vikings are eleven and zero. What do we say? A three and a half point, three and a half game difference. There's your three and a half games. Giants with three losses and one tie and one score games. The Vikings with none. There's your difference in these two teams. How they've performed in three one score games. That's why this game, to your art, the point that we've been making all show, this is probably going to be a close contest. Well, but the one thing I don't want to hear is, you know, the Vikings are a lucky team. You're not lucky if you win 11 games that way. There's ex- execution that goes into oh, that yeah. in I mean, terms of winning games like that. I think if you want to make the argument that they're, you know, if they played this same 17-game schedule a bunch of times, they're probably not coming up 13-4 no, and four again. Sure. But, no, I mean, they, they're, they're a very talented team. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins has eight game-winning drives. We've seen the field goal kicker dramatically improve when that has been Achilles' heel for the Vikings. Oh, he's missed a couple seasons. kicks the last well, couple but, weeks. Well, but Greg Joseph also wasn't <laughs> their kicker for all these years. I'm just talking Correct, about if you yes. look at the previous mm-hmm. individuals, how many games under Mike Zimmer, their previous no. coach, did they walk off on the losing end because the field goal kicker missed yeah, the Vikings after and the, Kirk got them in field yeah, goal Yeah, the Vikings range. and Bears just continually shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, so that has changed, mm-hmm. too. And they also have big-time playmakers. Remember, you know, Jefferson, Hawkinson, Thielen, K.J. Osborne. Now you add Irv Smith Jr., Dalvin Cook. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot of firepower. That yeah. is no picnic for the Giants' defense, regardless of whether or not they can win in the Correct. trenches. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Hey, Giant fans, take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round. They're not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Pepsi Zero Sugar. New and improved. Zero never tasted so good. Allen in D.C. is up next. Hey, Allen, long time no speak, man. Hey, what's up, guys, man? Dynamic Duo is back, man. It's good to see you guys, man. What's up? 
Hey, man, I'm just, um, you know, I'm just happy that we're getting healthy and our defense is uh, starting to get back, man. And I think this might be the first time all season we could see Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Thibodeau, McKinney, Jackson, and Ojolari all together. So, uh, you know, I really like I really like our chances on defense. But, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson is going to command a lot of attention, and rightfully so. He's probably one of the best in, in the league. But we cannot let Hawkinson go off because he killed us. I think he had two touchdowns last game. Yeah, two. Played him. Yeah, and, yeah and I, I'm thinking, you know, defense wins championships, and – um, in our history, a lot, of, a lot of our Super Bowl history and, and all that is based on really, really good defenses. So I just hope that you know our guys show up and you know we, we limit those guys like Hawkinson and Cook and even guys like Thielen. You know, let, let, let Jefferson get his and and let and limit the other guys. And I think that might be a recipe uh, for a better outcome for us this this time. Thanks, guys. You Thanks, got down. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other factor, too, that, you know, should not be overlooked, it wasn't just the fact that the Vikings moved the ball. It was the fact that they finished drives. And remember, the red zone defense for the Giants has been consistent. Minnesota, though, was three of four in the red zone. And they've had a very good red zone offense all year long. Absolutely. So you could argue, okay, if you know, based on what the last caller said, the Vikings are going to get theirs, right? They're going to be able to move the ball. They're going to make plays. They have just have too many good players. Well, how did the Giants then operate inside the twenty? When the Vikings get into that territory, that probably will say an awful lot about this game because Minnesota did a good job finishing drives. And Hawkinson that's where, and Jefferson are the guys that finished them, yeah, too. and those contested catches. Because yep. one mm-hmm. of the Hawkinson touchdowns, remember, was where Cousins put it in a place where he jumped over yeah, Hawkinson. Yeah, the, the wheel route on the left yeah, side. but, mm-hmm. I mean, he had to go out in front, grab the ball, and then bring it back to his body. Darnay Holmes was involved in that play. Julian Love was involved in that play. I mean, you got to tip your cap. That was a heck of an athletic play by TJ Hawkinson. And I don't think he gets enough credit for his athleticism no. because he's not known as an elusive guy. Well, he wasn't used like that, that way in Detroit. Yeah. I don't know why, but he wasn't. Well, that's why Minnesota gladly said, you don't want him anymore. We'll yeah, take him really on. He's a really good player. Yeah, and he's made a heck of a difference for them. You look at his numbers, how highly targeted he is, and the chemistry that he and Kirk Cousins have built, and he's a big guy. So, you know, it's not easy for a safety to play him. It's not easy for a linebacker to play yeah, him. Yeah, him versus Landon Collins, I think, is quietly a pretty important matchup in this game. I imagine they're going to get matched up a couple times over the course of this game, and, and how does his land and cover him as that kind of hybrid linebacker type of player. I think that'll be fun to watch. And on this topic, just a related note, we were talking about the usage of Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley. Dalvin, we've seen, especially in that Indianapolis Colts game when he caught that screen pass and then took it to the house, I wonder if Minnesota says, okay, we're not going to run the ball because clearly they've made that a point of emphasis, but maybe they get him more involved as a targeted receiver. Yeah. And, he, and he's a had way. a couple games this year. We've had exactly. five or six catches, but not really against the Giants in that game. They they kind of helped. He used use a lot of pass protection, so he didn't go out for as many passes in that game. And the Vikings did do well with screens against the Giants in that yeah. first game too. And so, that's why I bring up Cook in that regard. But they didn't really involve Cook. It was mostly wide receiver and tight end screens in that game. I wonder if they'll kind of break out a couple running back screens. Well, that's but a good point. To your point, though, if they feel they need Cook as an extra line of defense with their offensive line, that's more of a reason yeah. why they lean on the other personnel. Remember, Jefferson screen set up the game-winning field goal for Greg Joseph. Yeah, and Hawkinson and a couple long catches, two on-screen passes. Maybe one was Hawkinson, one was a different tight end. Let's go to Andrew Long Island. He's up next. Andrew, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? How you guys doing? We're good. You're right. Give me a tough game, but uh, I think we got it. I feel like um, I feel like if we run the ball between Jones and Barkley 20, 25 times, I think we have a good shot. I think you have to put the playmakers, put the ball in the playmakers' hands. I think uh, 
the time to do it. Play yeah, and Andrew, okay. by the way, here's an interesting nugget, too. Andrew Jones. Uh, Andrew Jones. Daniel Jones. Fucking baseball. I don't, Andrew Jones? I don't know where Andrew Braves, James Braves, Yankees, outfielder. Jeez. What do you think? What type of an impact will he no, have on this game? Huge. Do you think he'll be used deep down in center field well, of territory? of course he uses a center field. Okay, though. fair I mean, enough. That, that's his yeah. natural position. Yeah, but does he have the range, though, to help out in terms of the <laughs> Not safety? Not anymore. He used to. Yeah. Um, you know, Jones ran four times for 34 yards in that game. All four of those runs, however, came on scrambles. The Giants did not call a single, solitary, designed Daniel Jones run in that game. Not one. And I'm and I think part of the reason is they run a lot of zone defense, the Vikings, so a lot of times some of the design stuff doesn't work as well. Um but I'm curious to see if they make that a little bit more of uh, in the package this week, using him yeah. on design runs rather than just as a scrambler, Andrew. Great point. They also have really good yeah, linebackers. I, I, I think that's game. why maybe they didn't have yeah. Daniel Jones run. Because Hicks and Kendricks are really good in terms of being in position to make tackles. Yeah. I got one more quick thing. I don't know if you guys have the stats on uh, Daniel Jones, uh, his passing attempts, for the games that we won this year compared to the ones that we lost. Is there any type of uh, stats well, on that? Well, I, I mentioned earlier, I don't know how long you've been listening, Andrew, that the two games yeah, the where game on, yeah, the two games when he threw for 40 or more, they lost. They lost to the Lions and the oh, Vikings. Yeah. So we were indicating, at least I was emphasizing, I don't think it's a recipe for success if you have him get into that territory again because that usually has not led yeah, to good results. It. And again, a lot of that's game so four, we gotta do, too. We got to pound that ball. That's, it. That's, that's the game plan, pound the ball. All right, Andrew, appreciate the call. And that's interesting because we talk about how well they played the first game, but they didn't pound the ball in the first game. So that's why I really I love these games that these two teams played recently, and especially when like weird things happen in the first game, like teams don't play the way like they usually do, and I, I think it's a fascinating matchup, to be honest with you. 201-939-4513. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Charlie. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, Lance. You miss me? <laughs> Tremendously. He was actually telling me at lunch today, Charlie, how much he wanted you to call in today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I knocked hey, this look, off my uh, bucket list for the week. What do you got? <laughs> Let's get to it. Hey, look, I, I'm glad you guys kind of straightened things out a little bit because I think uh, Giants fans are getting a little bit too cocky about this game. I mean, look, I mean, we, the last seven games, we're 2-4-1. and one. It isn't like we're going in there with a ton of momentum. Um, and the Vikings probably won four out of the last five games, something like that. I don't have the exact stat. Well, how about the fact but, that they're 8-1 uh, and one at home? I think that's, that's probably yeah. the best statistic to throw out. They are very good yeah. taking advantage of their home base this season. Yeah, exactly. And then we're going to the playoffs. 
I mean, it's a playoff game, uh, and Nick Gates has to say, like, boy, that crowd's not that loud. <laughs> well, you wait till Sunday. It's going to be really loud. Uh, huh. I, just, I, just, I just think that uh, there's going to be a lot of turnovers in this game. I, I think it's going to be a blowout. Uh, I really do, one way or the other, but I think most likely Vikings. Uh, yeah, because I, I think there's going to be turnovers, and whoever can score seven and not three, off the turnovers. Remember, our, our look, the Vikings, we can say we win the defense compared to the Vikings' defense, but they win the offense and they win special teams. So they got two out of the three um, to me. They're, they're, they're definitely a better team. Kirk Cousins got something to prove. I listened to his presser the other day, and he sounds calm, confident, excited about playing in, at home in a game that's one and done. He says, you know, it wasn't like he was scared about it. He, he felt like this is why you play football. I remember, Kirk Cousins so has won a playoff. People seem to forget yeah. that. Kirk Cousins won an overtime playoff game against a very good New Orleans Saints team a few years back. So it's not like yeah. this guy has been kryptonite in the playoffs here or anything like that. He's, he's right. had, I know, as much as Howard Cross and me go back and forth on Cousins, he's had success in the playoffs. He, he has, period. And he also beat the yep. Saints also again in that corner Kyle Rudolph touchdown oh, yeah, in the end that zone. That was another game. playoff game. Yeah. Yeah. That was on the road. Yeah. I think that was the same one, right? Isn't that what no, because the no? walk off with the Minnesota Miracle, I think you're talking no, about. No, that wasn't no? Cousins. That oh, was, that's right. That was Case Keenum. That was Case Keenum. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you are referencing then the one yep. that Kyle Rudolph mm-hmm. against the Saints. Yep. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, to me, it's just like uh, we've got to, you know, we got to keep them under 24 points because I don't think we're going to score more than 24 points. So. If we can do that, I think we have a chance to win. Uh, Barkley's got to have a big game, and, uh, you know, they're going to try to stop the run. I don't know. I just think it's going to be a blow. I, I'm saying it's 35-24 Vikings. That's that's my prediction. All right, Charlie, thanks for the call. And, look, if the Giants give it 35 points, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. I mean, the Giants have eclipsed 30 points once in four years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. or was it three years, whatever? I, I well, forget what the you got to go back to week five, 2020, yeah. the last so time. So basically three they seasons, got past right? Yeah. And 43 games, to be exact, yes. for those of you counting at home. That's a lot. Yes, just a tad. So if, if the Giants give up 30 in this game, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. But, you know, it's, can, the, I, can the Giants score 24-27 and maybe get to 28 in this game? Yeah, I think it's, it's not out of the question. But the Vikings gets past 30. I think you're getting out of the type of game the Giants are comfortable winning. Well, because once again, it's a bit of uncharted territory. Exactly. Right? Now, they can. You haven't they... seen enough, but you just you didn't have enough sample size to say, yeah, they can definitely operate like that. Now, in terms of the last point, I could see that Vikings saying to themselves, Daniel Jones has two games over 300 yards this season. We got an interception off of him. Let's see if he could do it again. And a strip fumble. Let's see. Correct. Mm -hmm. Let's see if Daniel can beat us. I could see Ed Donatel thinking like that, meaning we're going to emphasize, we're going to make sure Saquon doesn't damage this game. We're going to contain him. And then let's see if Daniel Jones and Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins can make as many plays as they did a few weeks ago. Right. I could definitely see Ed Donatel sure. in the defensive meeting room thinking like that. Guys, as long as we don't let Saquon go off for 100 yards and multiple touchdowns, let this be a Daniel game and let's see if he can, once again, rise to the occasion. I don't think that's crazy at all in terms of that being the thought process. And based on what we saw in the first game, it looked like he could. And that, but then you have to see if he could do it again. Correct. Because, once again, right. I think coaches... 
they also look at the numbers. They may not delve into the statistics like crazy, right. but mm-hmm. you're going to tell me they don't look at the fact that the Lions in the Vikings game was the only time that he threw right. for over 300 yards. Wouldn't you rather take your chances and seeing if he could do that again versus letting Saquon get comfortable and make a number of explosive plays? Because they saw Saquon had that 20-plus yard touchdown run at the end right before the two-point conversion to set up the game-tying score. And then, of course, the Vikings got into field goal range. So they understand Saquon could do damage. And they also, I'm sure, have noticed when they run the ball and pound the ball at least 30 times, the Giants are 9-0-1. Yep. And Lance, the caller asked for it, so I'll give it to him. And Giants losses, I'll be quick. 37 pass attempts for Jones against Dallas in September. Their next loss came against Seattle. 31 pass attempts for Jones. Here we go. 44 against Detroit. 35 against Dallas. 31 in the tie against Washington. And 42 in the loss to Minnesota. In their wins, 21. The outlier is Carolina in Week 2. They threw it 34 times. That's the outlier game. Next set of wins, 13, 27, 27, 30, 17, 32, and 24. So that's what you're looking at in terms of passing attempts in the win. So in every win but one, they had 30 or fewer pass attempts. In every loss, they had more than 30 pass attempts. Yeah. Now, a lot of that is you get a lead, you run the ball more. Though, it's not like the Giants were playing from ahead in many or any of these games. You know, they came back and won a lot of these games in the first half of the year. You know, they were behind the fourth quarter oh, against yeah. the Ravens. and Tennessee. Both yeah, exactly. So... Whatever, and I'm, I'm again. I'm not a big. I'm not a big person to apply to the. Oh, you have X number of runs. It means you win the game. Like I'm not that guy. But well, it's just been a statistical trend. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Hey fans, go download Giants TV, the Giants official connected TV streaming app. It brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, and the Giants mobile app. Right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by Pepsi Zero Sugar, new and improved. Zero never tasted so good. We'll do two more calls before we say goodbye, and we'll lead off with Rick in New Rochelle. Shell Rickford. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm happy to see that the defensive front four is playing well, but uh, I'm a little concerned with the game against uh, uh, Minnesota a few weeks ago. Minnesota ran three wide receiver screens: one to the left, two to the right. That gained big, big yardage. And the last one put them in position for that 61-yard field goal. Yeah, the Giants also shut down two or three of those as well. They were kind of really – and that's what screens kind of are, Rick. They're kind of hit or miss, right? You know, that corner, I think Darnay Holmes made a really nice play on one, crashing Land- down on Land- Jefferson. Landon Collins made a good Collins play too, made yeah. one on, I think, on Jefferson early in the game. So you're right. They did have a couple, and even one or two to the tight end too, that Rick, that hurt the Giants. But yeah. there are other plays, and it's all a matter of them timing those up, right? When the Vikings are calling those, they're anticipating a Giants blitz. And they're hoping they catch one of the corners coming on a corner blitz or, you know, the Giants being unbalanced where one side of the line is coming and then there's a lot of open space there. And they're hoping to time them up. So that's going to be a real cat and mouse game between Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings offensive staff against Wink Martindale trying to time up those screens to try to catch the Giants in some of those looks where Um, they can get some of those Unfortunately, they became big yardage plays. I mean, that's the whole point of the design. 18-yard gains. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, just think about it, Rick. It's a numbers game. If you, on a blitz, send a corner, now the Vikings have more personnel up the field than you do because you're down a guy. 
So, of course, it's going to lead to a big play. That's why I referenced the Jefferson play. He gained 17 yards before the field goal attempt. Mm-hmm. He gets maybe 12. Who knows? Maybe Greg right. Joseph doesn't drill the 61-yard field goal. They, they probably don't even try to kick it. Yeah, so, you know, it changes the dynamics an awful lot. That's why tackling and being in position to have a good read on what the Vikings' tendencies are could be the difference in a game like this, especially if you don't get home at the quarterback because they got a lot of elusive playmakers. And you just referenced they didn't use just Jefferson on those design screens. They used a variety of guys, and they could very well use Thank you, Dalvin Cook too because he has shown that if he could get out in open space, he can hustle and get down the field and do some damage. I looked. I thought I looked up what the Vikings did on screen passes in that game, and I thought I put it in my game preview sure, story. Sure, about the volume? Yeah, I actually had. I think it was... I'll go off the top of my head here, folks, and if the number's wrong, here, I apologize. Here, what is that line? The Vikings tried to counter those... Oh, yeah, here tendencies. we go. With there screen passes, they're tight ends receivers. According to Pro yep. Football Focus... See, Lance, you found the faster uh, than I did. I'm the one that wrote the damn sometimes thing. Sometimes my eyes cooperate. Yes. Cousins completed six of seven screen attempts for 50 yards That's in the game. That's pretty nice. Yep. And again, two or three of those, I think, probably went for no gain, so the three that worked... Do the average. You're looking at 15 or 16 yeah. yards per, per per reception there. So you'll still Rick, take those right. odds. Rick, the Vikings. Yep. Yeah. I think Rick. I think Rick. You make a good point. All right. Let's go to our final caller of the program. Is Scott in New Mexico? Scotty, do. Hey guys, how you doing today? What's up? Doing right, Scott. I'll make it brief. Uh, interesting statistic. Uh, Daniel Jones. Every time he throws the ball, is 6.8. You'd think that. Uh, Cousins would have a larger percentage, but he's only 7.1. Is that What is that, yard per attempt, yards, yards per, per cap, completion? Right. Yards per yards completion per or cap. yards per attempt? Uh, yards per attempt, I believe. Okay. And the interesting stat that I was looking at, which you've sort of identified, Daniel Jones has been sacked 44 times, but believe it or not, Cousins has been sacked 46 times. Yeah. So my question to you guys is, we already know that the Giants are the top blitzing team in the NFL. Do you think strategically, I always feel that the game is going to be won in the trenches despite all, everything else, that's, all the histrionics that are going around it, because whoever wins the trenches wins the game, because they are evenly matched, as you've already ascribed to. So do you think strategically that the Giants can rush four, or do they have to rush uh, or do they have to follow the same pattern that uh, Wink Martindale's been doing and actually maybe even blitz more than they did before? And I'll take your answer to the air, guys. Thank Thanks. you, Scott. Look, I don't think they do. Based on what we saw in that first game, with the way Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams play, now, you know, the strength of the Vikings' offensive line were those two tackles. I thought they did a really nice job against Thibodeau, and again, Ojolari only played half that game because of the yep. ankle. Uh, but I thought O'Neal and... Darisaw, who's their left tackle, and Neil was their right tackle, did a great job protecting the edges for Cousins. The Giants' edge rushers really didn't do squat in that game. Ojolari had the one sack. I think otherwise they had one pressure between the two of them over the course of the game. The Giants did their damage inside, but now O'Neal's not there. So I think you could probably make the argument Wink maybe doesn't have to blitz as much and you can trust your guys to get home because you like some of those one-on-one matchups. But I'll go back to what we talked about something earlier in the show with the cornerbacks, right? The Giants have operated one way all year. You know, Fabian Moreau's been covering the best guy since Adoree's been out. And Wink Martindale blitzes. Like, that's what... You want to talk about something being in somebody's DNA? Blitz is Wink Martindale's freaking DNA. That's what they do. They like 
the way it makes offenses adjust and get put in difficult situations, having to worry about that pressure. So, you know, maybe it won't be the 50% rate they did in the last game. Maybe it'll only be 40% because you do trust the guys up front to get home and you want to protect against some of their explosive playmakers and the screens that we talked about. But Wink ain't coming out here and having a 20% blitz rate in this game. It's just it's just not happening. It's just not happening. He's in attack mode, right? I mean, that's his style. He even said that when he spoke to the media the other day. So that would be an example of Wink getting completely out of character, which I don't see happening. Now, could he feel a little bit better about having some reinforcements in the secondary? Perhaps, but remember, yeah, but I think that I'll, means maybe he blitzes more. Yeah, but right? also, correct, because he feels comfortable. Yeah. But I still think Adoree's a wild card in this game because sure. we just don't know, A, is he going to play? B, how much, if he does play, will he be involved? And therefore, you're going to have to rely on more of Fabian and some of these other guys, which means you're pretty much back to square one in the first matchup. And I just, I don't see Wink being of the philosophy, even if he thinks he can get home with four guys, you know, let's give Kirk Cousins a comfortable pocket because Kirk has proven this season, you know, he will carve teams up. His numbers have been very solid. He may not be a guy that, you know, you're going to put atop the list of your rankings, but you could do far worse than Kirk Cousins. And I don't think they want him to feel very comfortable in this game because when you do get into his face, maybe you fluster him, you force him to press the envelope, and that's how you get him into a precarious spot for a turnover. So, and he's not elusive. He's not exactly yeah, running he's not away a threat from to run. Right. There, so that's no. more of a reason why, John, you feel good. If you are yeah. going to send the mm-hmm. house at him, he's not going to get out of the pocket and burn you for a 10-yard run. No, he's going like to throw it up to a playmaker yeah. and hope they make a play, and you hope your guys are good enough to prevent it. That's basically that's the gamble you're taking when you send the blitz yeah. because Kirk will throw it up. And look, when you throw it to Justin Jefferson, I can't really blame the dude. I'd be willing to just throw it up to that guy too. But can your guys win those one-on-one situations, which is very difficult? That's why the that's why Justin Jefferson's Justin Jefferson. Yeah, if you're going up against Jalen Hurts, it's a little bit different because that could prove costly Correct. if you don't get home. But Kirk's not going to do that. And you go back to that Buffalo Bills game where the Vikings won in the extra session and Jefferson made that ridiculous fourth down conversion. Well, he just it. Yeah, well, Kirk told him before they had that play, Justin, I'm probably just going to throw something up at you and we'll <laughs> hope for the best. Well, that's exactly what happened. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's the type of guy he is, Justin Jefferson. Yeah, so PFF track Cousins against the Blitz. I mentioned this before the first game. During the year, Cousins' numbers against the Blitz were not terrible, but just still towards the lower end of, of the quarterbacks. Just he doesn't, again, he doesn't have that elusiveness to avoid the Blitz and, and stuff like that. Um, but in the game specifically against the Giants, he actually was okay against the Blitz. And this is what PFF had. Again, you can take it with a grain of salt, whatever, but I'm not going back there and tracking every Blitz and seeing what he did. So I'm going to take their numbers and trust them. 15 of 24, 171 yards, two touchdowns, three sacks. So I, it's, it's not great. It's not phenomenal, but it's, no. not, it's not bad either. But I'd still want him to feel a little bit uncomfortable sure. than have him sit back there in a comfortable pocket because I'm only bringing four guys. Now, the other interesting one, the Giants did do six again. This is according to PFF. They did six zero blitz looks. And for fans that don't know, that means no safety help. You're just manned up. He didn't complete any passes in those situations. Well, and I'm sure Wink is looking at those numbers and that success rate. And with so. McKinney there now and... Maybe a Dory Jackson, and maybe that's when you have, right, if you limit the snaps, maybe, all right, well, we're going to play zero coverage here. We want that dude on the field because we trust him more than we trust some of the other guys, right? So, look, I think that's kind of, 
I think that's where the Giants are right now, and that's where the Vikings are, and I think it's going to be a fun cat-and-mouse game given they just played, and like I said, based on the way these two teams have played all year, I would expect this game to be close in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I stand by. It gets out of hand if one of these teams is just turnover crazy and they give gifts to the opposition, unbelievable field position, and a team jumps out to an early lead and puts themselves, the opposition rather, in a hole. I mean, that's, to me, the way that this game gets out of hand because, you know, once again, it was 13-10. I think if you ask most people, they probably don't remember. It was a three-point game and a low-scoring game entering the fourth quarter of that contest. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. And you can check out Lance and I, along with Paul Dottino and Jonathan Casillas, on our pregame show on Sports Radio 66, WFAN, also 11.9 FM as well. On Sunday, pregame starts at four fifty at a 2.15, pardon me. The kickoff is at 4.40. Again, the pregame at 2.15, kickoff at 4.40. You can tune in on the radio here or uh, go to the Odyssey app, and you can check that out. You can link through WFN.com if you want to listen digitally uh, for that pregame show. And, of course, we'll be with you after the game. Lance will be anchoring back in the studio. I'll be in the locker room getting all the reaction, and we will uh, cover what hopefully will be a Giants victory, and then we can do it all again next week. Well, this is it. It's one game. You either move on or you head home. No question. This is where it counts. Big Blue Kickoff Live was brought to you by Pepsi Zero Sugar. We are thrilled to have them along as a sponsor. New and improved, zero never tasted so good, Pepsi Zero Sugar. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We're back on Monday, win, loser, draw at 1230. That'll be Paul Dottino and Howard Cross on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Otherwise, we'll see you on Sunday afternoon. Everybody enjoy your super wild card weekend. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.